My skin is black. What you looking at? My skin is black. I feel so good to be black right now. Welcome to episode 152 of the Black in Fashion podcast. We are in season five, guys. We are five years strong in this thing, okay? Um, I'm so excited because this season we just have some amazing guests. The conversations are elevated. And of course, we have to acknowledge our amazing Black Luxury Wine sponsor, Michael Lavelle Wine, which you will see right here on the camera and that I'm currently sipping. It is Friday night, baby, okay? Now, we're going to get into it. So today I have with me Ron Reagan. He is the head designer for Reagan Era. Um, they are a niche brand of exclusive garments in limited quantities. And Ron, thank you so much for joining me this evening. How are you on this Fashion Friday evening? <laughs> I am doing great, and thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for your patience, okay? So um, I like to not start any episode without doing like a little like this or that. I need to see where you, where you at with the fashion, okay? All right. All right. So crew neck or V-neck? Crew neck. Trench coat or motorcycle jacket? Motorcycle jacket. Adidas or Nike? Nike. Nike. Oh, okay. I was about to say. <laughs> Checks over stripes. <laughs> For real. All right. Um, with the guys, are you more of a fedora guy or like a dad hat? Uh, dad hat. Okay, cool. All right. So we know where you at with it. So if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your background, where you're from, um, how you got started, um, and you know when that fashion bug kind of bit you. Um, I'm originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ooh, okay. Um, uh, Midwest. I'm from Chicago. Yes. Yep. Oh. I'm originally from Grand Rapids. Um, I grew up there. Um, my my family uh, moved there from Mississippi. Oh wait. Um, See, I gotta back you up again. What part? Because my family's from Mississippi too. Uh, I think my mom said it's called Amory. Or... Oh, I know exactly where that is. Okay. So, like, I've never been there, but you know, my 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 mom and everybody's from there. My grandmother is, I would say, how I, the fashion bug uh, hit me. Um, you know, like when you a kid and your mom take you to your grandparents' house. I guess when you sick or have days off from school, mm -hmm. you know, my grandmother would tell me stories and stuff about you know my my mom's childhood, and I remember her telling me that she used to make their clothes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was extremely intrigued by that, you know, like what you used to make their clothes. And then, you know, she had like these little uh, sewing kits with, you know, thread and stuff like that. So, you know, I would like cut paper towels into shapes and then sew the shapes together, kind of make pillows out of it. <laughs> Ron, wait a minute. You are you are lying, aren't you? You lying, ain't you? No, nah, I'm not lying. And it, that that would probably be around age six or seven. Ron, Ron, wait. So my grandmother taught me how to sew. My grandmother uh -huh. is from Mississippi. The first uh -huh. thing I learned how to do was make pillows. Yes. And I, I was six. To... And I was six. Oh well, so we got a lot in common <laughs> we... on that part. Yes, we do. <laughs> so so um you know I I really got into it um early on like that and then um you know. I feel like I, I asked for my first sewing machine for Christmas when I was 11 years old. So when I got the sewing machine, you know, I just, you know, continued to 
add on skills of, you know, making patterns, cutting, sewing, the whole nine yards. And then um, as a teenager, about 16 years old, I moved to Atlanta. And when I moved to Atlanta, you know, I went to high school there. My, it was like my last year of high school there. And uh, after I graduated, I moved back to Michigan and I worked for a clothing store called The Buckle. Okay. Um, and it, it's a franchise, so it should be in, you know, most of your major markets. Um, and during working at the at the time working for The Buckle, you know, a lot of the clothing and stuff that was coming in to the store, you know, we had to do like um, brand research and stuff like that. So this was that era of time of FUBU Platinum uh that was the 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 first I remember that. <laughs> so so the first run of rock aware was there um this was probably the second run of echo at that time um willie esco was you know kind of dropping at that time um it's a it's another brand from new york called triple five soul they came out about that time so you know with learning the brands and learning, you know, the history of the brands, I kind of got, you know, really into it. And I, uh, I wound up moving back to Atlanta and I got a wind of a school there that was based around fashion and it was called Barter College. Okay. Um, it was in the basement of a store called Lord and Taylor. So, um, that's really where it turned in turned from just me messing around to you know i would say professional love that love that so what would you say is your brand like foundation your aesthetics if you could like describe your brand in three words my brand in three words three adjectives I, yeah i would call it street luxury and I don't I don't want to use this word, but I'm just gonna say raw. No, raw uncut is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's not so to me raw is like the opposite of like classic. So yeah. very unique, very, very creative, very different. So I think yeah. that, I think that's a good word to use as well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And who would you say your ideal target consumer is? Like what is the persona of the person that wears your clothing? I would say they hustle. Okay. If, and if they don't hustle being in the streets, then they have, uh, they're in an the entertainment field. Okay. And would you say that your target consumer kind of lies within like that like entrepreneurship field, like definitely that entertainment field? Because you make a lot of custom stuff, right? Yeah. Yes. So we're making a lot of custom. Custom come with a price point, you know? So a yeah. lot of times, and I was in the custom world, oof, it's been a while, but like when I first, first like began designing and mm -hmm. I found that people, not everybody, but a lot of times when you start down and stuff like that, people be wanting you to make custom garments for $150, whereas like custom is a luxury and luxury garments cost money. It's like, you can't buy this in the store. Like this has to be custom made. It's being custom made to your body type. So there's a certain price point that's associated with that. Did, have you found that like challenging for a certain type of target consumers or do you find that 
some of those like more celebrity hustle, like those people that kind of live that lifestyle, um, you don't have that issue with? Um, I would say because my early stages um, of doing this after I got out of college, um, I was working for people who had an absorbent amount of money. And then um, a lot of my friends and, you know, people that I grew up with, they also hustle. So they, you know, they're used to spending a little bit more money on clothes. Um, so I didn't really have that pro that problem because the people that I dealt with were already used to spending a lot of money on clothes. Oh, I love that. That's like the opposite story. Everybody I heard the hat costume. <laughs> like people yeah. trying to get, like trying to hand them up style. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. So can you tell me about your experience working with the Atlanta Hawks? Um... Well, I, at the time, I was working as a, um, the, on a design team at a, a company in, in, in Georgia called uh, Pro Sports, mm. and they uh, they produce outfitting, so you know, sports apparel for all of the different industries from middle school all the way up to professional sports. So they make the jerseys for the. Uh, Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Hawks, um, Atlanta Falcons, um, and, and from that point all the way down to, you know, the University of Georgia and so on and so forth. So um, I got the the chance to design the, the new jerseys for the uh, Atlanta Hawks um, through that job. Nice, nice, nice. And it, um, when it comes to like having to design for certain people, do you find that you're able to, you know, really express yourself creatively or, uh, is, are you sometimes having to stick within like a certain amount of guidelines? Um, I think that it's on a case by case basis. Um, because I started off so early on, um, a lot of the people that I designed for, they kind of just trust that I know what they all like. Like that. Is that, is that the same experience you had with Big Meech as well? Uh, yeah, well, you know, with, with Meech, um, I got introduced to him um, by his bodyguard. Uh, there, there was a guy, he's, he's, he's dead now, um, rest in peace. Um, his name is Baby Blue. Mm -hmm. So um, Blue introduced me to Meech, and then, um, well, I'll go back a little bit further. The 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 mascot for the Atlanta Hawks that the uh, the person that's inside the mascot was a guy named Blue as well. Um, he came up with the Dirty Birds dance and all that stuff for the for the uh, Atlanta Hawks. So I met Blue first, and then Blue introduced me to Baby Blue, and then he introduced me to Meech. And Meech was you know he didn't talk much. But he was a real cool guy. And I guess because the, I'm from Michigan and he's from Michigan, it was kind of like, hey, I see what you're doing. Uh, all right, cool. Let's make some stuff. Gotcha. I love that. So let's talk about the the growth of a, the title of fashion designer. Um, I think that that title is definitely thrown around a lot. Um, I think even like the, these days, graphic designers call themselves fashion designers. And, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts and opinions uh, about it? For me, I'm very biased because I'm very passionate about what I do. And I would like, you know, call it what it is. If you're a graphic designer, you're a graphic designer. You know, if you're a fashion designer, you're a fashion designer. But there's a certain level of, you know, I'm going to say expertise, but I'm going to say technique that comes with being a fashion designer. I, well, I think that, you know, 
early on when I got into it and, you know, was doing fashion, it wasn't popular. Um, there wasn't a lot of people doing it. Um, even when I would tell people what I did, they would, you know, like shrug it off. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, nowadays I really don't understand why there is no regulation, so to speak. So like, for instance, if I meet someone who's in the medical field and they are a CNA, right? Uh They don't go around calling themselves a doctor. Right, true. And there's regulations and labels for a CNA, uh, a registered nurse, and then a doctor. And, you know, there's levels to it. So each person has the title to call themselves what they are. Whereas the fashion industry, the, the... the label of designer is kind of vague. Uh So, you know, you have people who are quote unquote CNAs calling themselves a surgeon. Mm, Yeah. So I really don't know why, but you know, that's just the way that it is nowadays. And I'll add this coming up. There was a place in Michigan and and there's, there's a place like this in every city that, you know, kind of makes clothing for family reunions. Um, They make clothing for high schools, T-shirts, so on and so forth. It's generally a mom-and-pop business. And they, in my opinion, have been dismantled into this, you know, community of people that are saying, hey, I don't want to patronize that company any longer. I want to do what they are doing. But I I don't think that, people understand that that business that they're not going to any longer, they weren't millionaires. So I don't know why people are trying to jump into their space as if they are going to be, you know, somehow rich by making (laughs) t-shirts. I agree. (laughs) And I'm cracking up because you sound just as passionate as me about this. Like, you know what it is? We don't have, and Europe does, I feel like overseas does, they have a lot more laws when it comes to protecting fashion designs, even down to, you know, trademarks and patents and copyright, stuff like that. And the U.S. just has not progressed that forward when it comes to those titles and stuff. The thing is, like, in the medical field, you have to, like, be certified to do anything, you know, where, like, you can't be an independent surgeon without a certification you can't be an independent nurse without a certification whereas in our field you don't need a degree to be a designer in their field you need it you gotta yeah. have an education a certain level of education and in our field honestly you know you're you could be self-taught you could be self-taught yeah. and then that's how you are able to take on that label so you can't really regulate somebody that's self-taught they can say whatever they want to say you know exactly. and i think that's and, and in some ways i feel like that's a great thing about the artistic industry because some people are naturally talented, but it also to me is like a double edged sword because you got a lot of people out there that is not, you know, um, certified or have the, the education or the technique levels and stuff like that, that are calling mm-hmm. themselves fashion designers. And, you know, honestly, you know, I ain't gonna say ruining the name of a designer, but, uh, of any way or the reputation, but diminishes the sport, which is why, is looked at as or frowned upon from other industries like oh you do fashion uh like you said like kind of like kind of you know push it off 
And I think the same yeah. thing happened to me when I was in college. It's like, oh, you want to go to super fashion? What you going to do? Pick clothes? No, not knowing that this is a, you know, a, a trillion dollar industry. And there's a lot right. of av- avenues within the industry where you can make a ton of money. And there's some levels where you do need certification, like, but it's not the fashion designer one where you need it. To teach in fashion, you need a bachelor's or a master's, you know. To work in certain yeah. fashion companies, you need a bachelor's or a master's. But to just be a plain old fashion designer, you don't need anything. But honestly, some money because you can buy marketing and PR and all that other stuff to make yourself pop. Or you can use the power of social media to make yourself pop. Exactly. Yeah. And and there's another kind of like clouded, I would say, um, view on things. For example, you know, it's very hard for me to tell someone that I'm a fashion designer and in their mind, because they've never met anybody that do, that does the whole, you know, kit, mm-hmm. they assume that I make T-shirts. <laughs> Like right off the bat, like as soon as I say it, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, my uncle got he be making t-shirts in his kitchen." And then I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to down their uncle. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to come off as cocky. Like, oh no, he don't do this. But at the same time, like he don't do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what? Like I don't want to say he don't do this, but he don't do this. Okay, right. let's be very, right. very clear. But you know what's right. crazy? I do think that. Ignorance is just ignorance and ignorance ain't nothing but a lack of knowledge. So yes. I pride myself on educating. So when I do, and I've gotten that before, I'm like, oh, well, they're not a designer. They may be a, a, a graphic designer, but they're not a fashion right. designer, you know, and I'll correct. Right. So I correct somebody in a minute and I'm, it's, right. it's natural in me. I am a, I'm a teacher as well. I'm an adjunct, um, adjunct at FIT. So it's normal mm-hmm. for me to be like, okay, yeah, no, that's not the right vocabulary. And sometimes yeah. it can come off rude or come off condescending. But, you know, I try to yeah. present it in an educational way. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I just want to make sure you're using the right verbiage. So that's right. not the correct verbiage for what you are speaking about. So I do do that. And I think it does come off rude sometimes. But at the end of the yeah. day, for me, I feel like I'm doing my part. And my part is to educate you and let you know that that's not correct. Right. And, I, you know, I, I understand your take on it. I just sometimes... I'm reluctant to try to teach someone something who isn't didn't come to me for the learning. You know sure. what I mean? Because a lot of times, like you said, it'll come off rude or overly cocky or you know what I mean? And, right. and that and that's not my aim at all. And, and I'll go even further. Sometimes when I'm wearing clothing that I made, if someone approaches me and says, hey, I really like this that you're wearing. Where'd you get it? I lie and tell them that my friend made it or someone Mm -hmm. else made it because when I tell them that I made it, the, it's an aura of disbelief because of my appearance or because I'm a guy or because I'm, you know, black or, you know what I mean? It's a a sense of shock. Like, Oh, you know, opposed to it being normalized. Right. And it should be normalized. Like people make clothes, people like who y'all think make clothes. (laughs) Right. But I think that, I think that your average consumer has no idea about from point A to point B. Not you know what all. I mean? Not they at just all. they just know that the store had it and then they bought it, but mm-hmm. they don't they have no idea about the, you know, the 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 journey of that. Oh yeah. People. And surprisingly, even the people that pursue it don't have it because, you know, I run a, uh, I run a company where I do a lot of product development for aspiring designers and emerging designers, um, mm-hmm. ALC Apparel Consultant. And it's amazing to me 
And sometimes people will go throughout that entire process with me, like literally go from technical sketch to fabric sourcing, selection, fit sample, um, pattern making, all that stuff. And they'll get to the end of that process with me. And mind you, I've been educating throughout the whole process. And they still trying to ask me what the hell a patterner is. And I'm just like, you was, you didn't hear me say nothing, huh? Yeah, and I think that 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 disconnect that you're talking about is they they're like a a sponge that's already full of water. So no matter what you pour on, it doesn't get absorbed. Mm, you're right. They just they don't want to absorb the things that you are telling them. So they why do you just, want to be a designer? That's the part that I don't understand. Like because how, yeah, I feel like a lot of times they there's a a narrative that you can get rich too <laughs> of course of course it's a narrative but <sighs> like it's 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 probably three or four thousand youtube's videos that just saying hey do you want to get rich off clothing <laughs> you're right i when i tell you when i see that stuff i'll be trying to i'll be like unfollow unblock i don't know i get so irritated with stuff like that because i'm passionate about what i do but that's, yeah. that's interesting i think it's so interesting and then i had one girl one time that uh we was make we finished her samples and then she told mm -hmm. me that she wanted to do everything over in a different fabric i was like okay mm -hmm. she asked me that i had to make the samples over Mm. And I don't, and I try everything in me not to be like, well, I literally, I had to just ask because this is a person who wants to be a designer. Like, mm -hmm. and outside of me, you know, making the stuff for you, what research, what, what are you doing to develop your skills? But I didn't even say that. I was like, what do you think? Like, mm. if you're changing the fabric, like, it really sometimes, like, without having to give an answer, I really had to be in that little cocky moment. Like, what if I have to make them over in a different fabric, what do you think? How else yeah. am I supposed to make them over? I'm supposed to glue the, the new fabric on top of the old one? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah, it's, it's, I, there's somewhere <laughs> that the there's a just some common knowledge that designers are glamorous li living humans. Mm -hmm. And to be one, all you have to do is know how to dress. <laughs> That's styling, though. That's different. But, you know, sometimes people are so, let's call it vain. Mm -hmm. And when they see themselves in the mirror and see themselves dressed, or maybe even, let's say, they get compliments when they go places, they assimilate those compliments with being capable of, you know, spearheading a industry. Love that. You're absolutely right. So let's talk a little bit about um, like clothing contribution to like, you know, the environment. You know, I find mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, a lot of designers, they, you know, when they come in or they want to be immersive designers, they're trying to compete with like, you know, your, your, fa your Fabric 21s and like your Zara's and stuff like that. Not knowing mm -hmm. that like these things are made very cheaply, you know, very mm -hmm. cheaply. Um, mm -hmm. And then they're also made in, you know, countries where the labor laws are not as intense as, you know, U.S. labor laws. And they think that these people are their competition, like Fashion Nova is their competition. And they not even knowing that all that clothing is going to end up in landfills. Which is, all right, that, now, it's, all right, this is a, this is a question that I have for you in response to what you said. Mm -hmm. All right, now, 
in slavery times, there was people, of course, on the plantation picking cotton, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have the people in the South selling this cotton, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have you have a group of people who live in the North who travel to the South to buy this cotton at a discounted price, even though they know the <coughs> reason why this price is discounted is because those people don't have to pay for labor. They have slaves. Mm -hmm. But they they're equally as guilty in the slave industry as if they had the slaves themselves. Absolutely. So us as con consumers here in America, we are basically doing the exact same blind eye thing to people in other countries. And we don't really care about it because we want to save money. Mm -hmm. So, we don't care about the environment. We don't care about how it impacts these other people. We don't care that these people have to work sometimes 22 hour shifts or sometimes they never go home. They live there in the factory mm -hmm. and the conditions are terrible. The, the air quality in this, in those countries are terrible. It's just bad all the way around, but we don't care. Mm -hmm. All we want is, Cheaper, 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 cheaper. Yeah. Not caring about that—that th that means that somebody probably won't eat. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think, um, and I feel like I've—I I've, feel like I put this out there a lot, and I put this information out there a lot. Was like, y'all, do y'all not understand? Well, I don't even say they not understand, but at least I try to speak about it. And I and I went to a sustainability summit, and I, I spoke on a panel at a sustainability summit along with Tracy Reese. And she really broke it down to the fact that, like, think about these, and it's like the garment worker industry is full of women too. And <laughs> with people shopping at these places like Fashion Nova and Sheen, oh, I hate Sheen. I'm, I don't even want to get into that. I, just, I hate all of them. I hate all of them. I hate all of them. I hate them all. I hate them all. Collectively. So I'm, so I'm like, and you know, what the importance is of buying things. Um, you know, that are going to stand the test of time, that are buying things that have natural fabrication, that are buying from black designers that, you know, they get so caught up in like, why is it this much? Because it's made in the U.S., because we have yeah. labor laws here, because it's leather, yeah. because it's silk, because it's cotton, because it's linen, it's not polyester, it's not rayon, yeah. you know what I mean? And I yeah. just feel like you're right, like people just don't care. And there's no way to make someone care about something like that because there are some people who their entire lifestyle has always been cheap clothing and it could be from the way yeah. that they were raised you know yeah. or what their parents spent because like either i'm gonna honestly say my mom my mom would never spend more but you know what i'm saying get back my mother is also a thrifter and she's you. a she's a thrifter but she would never spend more than maybe 30 or 40 dollars on a top she gonna go to yeah. the thrift store though and buy stuff from there she loved going to the thrift store she loved i think it's like three dollar wednesdays or something like that but she mm -hmm, does mm -hmm. but she's very conscious about the stuff that she does buy and how she finds it so even if it's thrifted she'd rather go to the thrift store you know than go to like a, a rainbow but I, but I also had to explain it to her one day I had to explain to her the way rainbow works because she was a rainbow shopper I'm like mom I gotta tell you like this is what they're doing and this is what's happening and then she shifted she's like okay I'm just gonna do thrifting then and I'm gonna make sure I look at the tags I'm like please do <laughs> you know, but it's like if they don't know, they just don't know. My mom never thought about it that way. The only reason why right. she even got that education is because of me and my knowledge. So she never knew. But when she did right. know, she started to shift the way she shopped. Yes. And like like you said, like for instance, the polyester 
you know, stretchy outfit from Shein or Fashion Nova. Like, okay, they wear it. They get the look off. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, it, it, and, and then they discard it. But the problem is, what they don't understand about polyester in general is it's made out of a liquid, mm-hmm. right? So the fibers, you know, are basically, you know, a liquid. And when it when it becomes when it goes into a landfill, and then the the UV rays cook this liquid, then it it, it transforms back into a gas. Now that gas gets trapped in the atmosphere, and then that's how we have holes in the ozone layer. People don't understand that clothing is almost the number one contributor to pollution in our country. Mm-hmm. But they, there is no like loud message that says recycle clothing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, it, there's a loud loud message that says recycle paper or recycle plastic bottles or you know whatever. But clothing is killing our planet, and those polyester fibers are the culprit. But absolutely, I think that. Know, the conversations like this though, you know, and as we put this out there, we continue to, you know, bring light to these conversations. It does help, you know, but we mm-hmm. have to we have to keep it going. We have to get people that are, you know, about the movement that understand it, you know. And it's not a lot of people that do. Some people are just like, I'm about what I want. I'm gonna do what I want with yeah. money type, you know, type of attitude. And that's fine. We can't we can't count nobody coin, we can't tell what I do. All we can do is continue to put out the information and put out the education, you know, and constantly yeah. just like drill it you know like whether you do it or not eventually they gonna hear you you know and i think that if we continue to even you know tap into partnerships with like different cities and stuff like that i'm glad now i have an mwbe certification like for government contracts working with the cities was like okay we need a a disposal space just for apparel like y'all got y'all got a y'all got a garbage can for plastic you got a garbage can for cardboard now we need to we need a we need a can for clothing you know, and, yeah. you can, and there are places throughout the city where you can go and dump clothing, but they're very far in between. And if it's yeah. an inconvenience for somebody, then it ends up going in the trash. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that is just not cool. And at the same time, like, I don't, I think that if people just bought quality clothing that's produced, that. <laughs> that's produced properly, then they wouldn't have to discard them any longer. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I don't. I, but again, I've I've been, you know, I've been that guy that really cares about what the way I look and my appearance and stuff like that. And I don't mm-hmm. think that everyone has that, you know, uh, lust to be, you know, fly, so to speak. Yeah. And also, people, and I also, and I, and I think that we're getting better. I do see a lot more progressive. Like my page, I have on my TikTok page. I do a lot of get ready with me's. Mm-hmm. And my get ready with me is just focused on black designers. So I try yeah. to make sure that there's black designers and black boutiques in in mind where I'm like constantly showing, you know, if you invest in stuff, you know, invest in good quality pieces, how many different ways you can wear them and how longevity that it has and stuff like that. And yeah. if we continue, like I said, we continue to just like educate people and put it out there. I think that I can, I see it progressing. Like, cause I see that a lot of designers that I recommend now, when I go out now, I went to an event yesterday called at, and it's Soho works, Soho works, and it was the Black and Fashion Council, and the amount of Black designers that I recognize—not the people there, but people wearing them—like, oh, that's I'm like, oh my, oh, that's Hanifa. Oh, okay, that's something about Sanji. Oh, that's Fee Noel. When I would walk into a room before, I'm, you know, I'm not recognizing these clothes. Now, when I look, I go to events and stuff like that, 
I'm seeing them. I'm seeing a lot more black brands being being purchased and being used because I, a lot of times, will be the only person in the room with a black designer on, and I can look at your stuff and I can tell it's a fashion over. But nowadays, <laughs> I am I am seeing more of people being a little bit more conscious. But people also got to have somewhat of a budget to do that. And then there's some yeah. people who just like their their shopping behaviors would just never be of that. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Yes. So, um, I do like before we uh, end, I do want to answer some of the questions you put in here. You said, uh, "Is there a chance for a new 100 year old brand founded by a black designer?" Yes. For for so like basically you you we're let's talk about like the brands that kind of get praised. You oh, know, like oh, the Gucci's, the Louis Vuittons, and the stuff Gucci's, like that. your Louis Vuittons. Those brands are over 100 years old. Absolutely. Will. Um, do you see the chance of a black designer or a black brand making it 100 years long? I do. Um, just because we are progressive these days, um, I feel like it's going to take time. But even like Tracy Reese, she's been around for a long time, um, mm-hmm. a very, very long time. And she's still in the industry. She's still in the game. She's still doing it. Um, Laquan Smith, he's been around for quite some time. Like he started, he just started now to get pop, you know, more popular. But he's been around for a while now, so I think that mm-hmm. we'll see it happening more. But the brand itself has to also be consistent. Some of those brands that's been around for a hundred years is because they got saved. You know, like Louis Vuitton is owned by you know the LVMH group, who also owns like Celine and Dior and all these brands. And those brands mm-hmm. were at a pitfall when a big conglomerate came in and saved them from failing. Um, and yeah. it's a really dope book that I always like to recommend. It's called How Luxury Lost His Luster. You will learn a lot yeah, of shit. Yeah, you, you suggested <laughs> it to me. I read it. Yeah, I was like, because you being there, you be like, damn. Like, because it's like mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff changed. You know, the way some of those fashion houses were branded, they got saved by a tycoon. You know, they got saved yeah. or whatever. And that was the reason why they were able to continue on with their brand. So with us, we got to make good financial decisions so that we don't have those pitfalls where somebody come in and take over and ruin the quality. Um, but we yeah. also have to stay consistent in putting out our our collections and stuff. Because, you know, some designers take a break and people forget about them. You know, yeah. and they try to come back yeah. in. So consistency matters and making the right decisions when it comes to the business, I think matters. So I do think that it's a chance. Um, okay. And then you said, would, she sign, would I sign a distribution deal as a designer for my own brand? Meaning like if I sign it off with somebody else? Well, basically there's a company there that a friend of mine, he's also from Chicago. Um, he... He's he was making uh, clothing, uh, custom stuff like I do for a a, a rapper a guy named French Montana, mm-hmm. and and through making the clothes for French Montana, he would go out and go to these different companies that had clothing, and then you know take the clothing and the payment to put it on the artist. Mm-hmm. So the, the the major brand was like, hey, well, what is this stuff that you're wearing? He's like, oh, well, this is my own stuff, and they're like, oh. Well, you know, why don't you come here and get the stuff done with us? So what ended up happening was he signed a, a contract with them to design for his own brand. For, and it was like three years was the contract. And um, it was a salary. I think it was like 150000 And then there was a 2.8% royalty paid to him after every million dollars in sales. So basically... You know, long story short, they fired him from his own brand. Yeah, no, and I wouldn't have signed that. <laughs> so a lot of people who have 
especially streetwear or, or, you know, these, let's call it urban fashion brands, you know, a lot of them are distributed by companies like this one that I'm talking about. They they get the designer, they pay them a salary, and then they pay them a royalty based off of the sales. And a, a lot of times, the the stores that carry those clothing or those brands are already built in. So basically, they're distributing to these stores no matter what. Like that store is going to receive a box from that company no matter what. They don't necessarily choose the things that are coming it just continues to come mm. and at what, what the reason they fired him is because they projected for him to have made 40 million dollars in sales at that point and he had only made like 19 wow. which is still good but for them it was like oh well it's just not good enough now all the things that he had designed up until that point they were like, okay, we're keeping all the designs. And then they they basically told him the royalties that we owe you, if you want them, you have to get a lawyer to get them. So oh, wow. he, he got fired from his own brand and he couldn't use his own name anymore. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing what I was talking about as far as like making good decisions and stuff like that. When it really comes to like reading that fine print on them contracts, I would yeah. have never... I would have never because you're allowing someone else to be in control. So you can, yeah. it's good to have sometimes partnerships. Those are fine, but you need to own 51%. They need to own 49 because that means right. you always got the control and vote. So for that, right. I would never have taken that because I, at all times, I need to own 51% of my company because when it comes right. down to the decision making and how things are going and how things are ran, you can't never get rid of me at 51% because you only got 49 yeah, I'm, so like I'm, that that decision making is very key, and like it be sounding good sometimes, but yeah. like thinking about that long call and that long run, yeah, that's what you gotta think about. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's hard. It's a hard world, you know. It's, and those type of like that situation with him is very common, mm-hmm. and there there's a a disconnect with some people when they like, you know, they see these clothes in the store. And then they see him, they're like, oh, yeah, he must be rich because, you know, I've seen his clothes in multiple stores and, you know, X, Y, and Z is wearing it, you know, but in all actuality, he didn't even get nothing for it. Right. And that happens all the time, honestly, in the music industry, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it happens all over. So uh, before we uh, before we head out, I just want you to tell us a uh, our segment is called It's a Muse. So uh, affirmation, a mantra, a uh, a prayer, a book, anything that you want to share with a creative that would actually keep them motivated. And to answer your question, what I would tell my 20-year-old 20 self is to trust the process. And that every time you think you failed or you did something wrong or there was an obstacle, use it as a learning lesson. I got you. Um, I would tell my 20-year-old self to be your own voice. Mm-hmm. You understand? Because a lot of times, and this is even, you know, right now to this day, like I'm a designer. I design clothing for people, but the voice of me is a lot of times being muted by the person who presents what I'm doing to the consumer. Mm. So right now I'm making something for somebody to wear to the Grammys um, in a couple or next week or the, the next week after that. Now, the the artist that I'm making the clothing for, they won't likely tell anybody who I am. Mm-hmm. 
So I have to do that for myself. Use your voice and own your space. Absolutely. Yes. And what yes. is your uh, your mantra or affirmation or prayer that you would want to share with a young creative that's on this journey? Uh, really get knowledge about what you are doing prior to doing it. Yes, education is key. <laughs> educate yourself. Educate yourself on what. It, don't go by what you think it is. Go by what you've educated yourself about. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Ron, for joining us today. If you just want to throw out your social media handle so people know how to contact you, check out your work and work with you. And then, of course, I'll put all this information in the show notes as well. Okay. So if you would like to reach out to me, I have one of the simplest Instagrams of all time. It is LE365. Perfect. That's LE365. No, just three six, six five, five, like the day, like the days of a year. Gotcha. L E three sixty five. L E three sixty five. So make sure you guys check him out. And thank you so much for joining me today. And as I always say, guys, you stay black. Peace out. Peace out. All right. Thanks so much, Ron. Have a good one.